Hello and welcome to a new season of podcasting from us here at Football Radar. I'm Adam White, French league analyst, and I'll be talking at the Champions League after each round of games. Today, after the first round of fixtures in the group stage, I'm joined by Spanish La Liga expert Chris Henson. Hello, Chris. Hello, Adam. And Italian Serie A analyst Rob Smith. Hello, Rob. Hello, Adam. So I just thought I'd read through the, the fixtures and the results, first of all, just to you know make sure everyone's on the same page. So on Tuesday, uh, Barcelona beat PSV on 4-0. Uh, Inter... 2-1 up against Spurs. Liverpool beat PSG 3-2, which I'm sure we'll discuss in, in depth later on. Uh, Red Star Belgrade 0-0 with Napoli. Uh, Galatasaray won 3-0 at home to Lokomotiv Moscow. Schalke and Porto drew one all. Russia Dortmund won away 1-0 at Club Bruges. Monaco had taken the lead against Atletico Madrid, but eventually lost 2-1. Hoffenheim were in the lead twice away at Shakhtar Donetsk, but drew 2-0. Ajax got an easy 3-0 home win against AEK Athens. Bayern Munich scored twice in the first hour to beat Benfica 2-0. Lyon brilliantly beat Manchester City 2-1, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Two, Real Madrid continued their latest defence of the Champions League by beating Roma 3-0 at home. Gareth Bale on the score sheet there. Victoria Pilsen were 2-0 up against CSK Moscow, but eventually pegged back with a 95th minute penalty from Nikola Vlasic to draw 2-0. Juve, despite Cristiano Ronaldo sending off, won 2-0 away at Valencia. And Manchester United got a relatively simple 3-0 away win at Young Boys. So, chaps, anywhere we'd like to start? Should we start with that PSG-Liverpool game, Chris? Did you, did you sure. see much of that game? Well, I must admit, I missed the first half an hour because I was walking from the <laughs> office to the to the where you're watching yeah, the game. I imagine place. it's often the case with Champions League nights. Yeah, um, because of the the kickoff times don't really allow enough sort of time in between for for a walk. Yeah, um, but they do allow the broadcasters to show both of us indeed concurrently. Um, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed myself as a Liverpool fan, mm-hmm. um, particularly the. Um, I mean, it looked like Mbappé. Retrieved a point for PSG that was sort of scarcely deserved, mm. um, but um, well, Bobby popped up in the last min. Um, or I mean, Trent almost won it with that free kick. Yeah, the, the post. Yeah, but I, I, I must say, um, I've seen a lot. Of, I mean, from watching the game, like you got a sense of it. But I've seen a lot of stuff on social media about how the PSG fans were brilliant, mm. um, amazing away support, um, kind of jumping for the whole. Two hours. Yeah, they, they, there's an interesting case of the PSG fans because their ultra groups were banned a while ago after an incident involving I, between two separate groups in which a fan was really seriously injured and maybe even died between two separate PSG ultra groups fighting each yeah. other and they were banned from the stadium. And the the, the atmosphere at the Parc de France got so bad like uh, when they started winning everything because you know it was a bit like the opera. You know, It was just expensive seats and tourists would come to Paris and watch them play and they'd win 4-0 against Lyon or Monaco and, and it wasn't really very interesting. So when it came to Champions League games, there wasn't really an atmosphere. So... They've allowed them back in the last season and a half or so, yeah. beginning of last season, I think. So they go to away games, so like back in back on board. So that's why their away support's actually pretty good these days. And the home attendances are right too. So yeah, it right. seems to be working. They haven't really had any any misdemeanors. I think there was a there was a Coupe de Ligue final which was played at Lyon, and they they kind of tore their end up a little bit, put yeah. some put some seats out and refined gladly for that, <laughs> smashed the toilets up, that sort of thing. But yeah, it made for a really good atmosphere inside the stadium mm. from, by the looks of it. Um, yeah, another really impressive performance from Liverpool. Um, defensively, we were a bit more lackadaisical than perhaps um, in previous games. I mean, we've got such a good away, away record these days. But then again, we were up against Neymar and Bapp and Old Cavani, Cavani yeah, Di Maria. Top, so yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, those are the sort of games you you love to see. Because I do find the Champions League can become the group stages, particularly, and maybe the Europa League is the classic example. But uh, sometimes with a six-game group, it's um, you, you don't get those big clashes until the knockout stages. So it's um, kind of an early testing of metal of two two teams that could go really deep into the tournament. Mm. Um, it's yeah, it's quite nice to see heavyweight swinging like that because certainly. It was quite different from the Barca PSV game that I'd watched a couple of hours earlier, mm. um, which was more of a uh, had had more of almost a preseason feel to it. Yeah, um, sort of Barca sort of comfortably on top for winning four 0 Yeah, it was weird because I, I actually speaking to Mark Jordan, Dutch journalist, we actually both thought that PSV might have a chance mm. um, because they've been playing really well, scored 13 goals in their last two games in the league, and I, obviously the standard's very different. But they've got a team that's clicking right now. Um, they've got a lot of really exciting players, um, not only in attack, but also in defence. Guys like Denzel Dumfries, great name, upcoming right back. Um, and he's probably one of their weaker links in the, in the defence, such as you know their, their strength across their 11. Um, but obviously, like Lozano doing his kind of dress rehearsal for potentially being a Barca player mm. some interest has been expressed because he's a good player who plays in Europe and <laughs> therefore he's linked to everyone mm. um, the amount of times it happens in the French press that Barcelona are linked with any decent player at any yeah. league and club yeah mm. but he's, he's got um, a network of scouts they're probably scouting them they're probably there aren't they watching them but yeah, they're, they're interested necessarily um, but yeah PSV have got a team that you know they spread their goals across the team so it's like you know if Lozano's kept quiet maybe Bergwijn would pop up with a goal um and I, I feel like Barca have been operating on like 70% so far this season. They've won every game they've played, but they haven't really played any difficult fixtures in the league other than Real Sociedad away, which is obviously their bogey ground. They only won there once over the last 10 years. That was last season. But um, they required two corners to score their goals um, to come from behind and Real Sociedad to miss two or three massive chances. Mm in quick succession so they could easily have lost that mm. and the new um, Anoeta as well it was first game wasn't it and yeah it was the well, new uh, redeveloped stadium by the looks of it it made a bit of a difference having the crowd a bit closer to the pitch mm. um, but yeah, even the um, the Super Cup um, uh, before the season started um, they required um, Sevilla to miss a Ben Yedder to miss a late penalty to equalise and take it to extra time so they seem to have kind of got by even Huesca they beat Huesca 8-2 but it was 3-2 at half-time and Huesca getting in behind really easily. Mm. So you just kind of... I mean, I felt going into the game that a team like PSV, who have been finishing their chances recently, scoring lots of goals, PSV even, could um, could get at them uh, and, and you know expose that defence a bit. And they did actually look bright going forward. They created some chances, but they're just... Their final ball or finishing touch, they had a lot of sort of shots from maybe the edge of the box that went wayward, mm-hmm. um, when maybe if they were a bit more cold-blooded on the night, um, it could have been a different game. And also, you know, I, I think as, as well, credit to PSV, because the goals that were scored by Barcelona to beat them were all top quality. Mm-hmm. But they lost their heads a little bit in the last 20 minutes, but um, yeah, they a messy free kick in the first half, with Barcelona, you know, Barcelona didn't really create any chances, mm. um, and then second half, that Dembele goal to make it two 0 was really crucial, an unbelievable finish, and he's gone up another level this season. Um, starts to look like the player we saw at Dortmund yeah. and at Rennes. Do you think there's something to be said for PSV in the fact, and perhaps this is a more general question, mm. that teams that play in leagues which don't have the high standards of the top three or four leagues, Serie A, Premier League, La Liga, 
um, that when they are, although they're a very good team, they've got lots of good players and they've got a good coach, when they're asked to play a different way, they really struggle. You feel like if PSV Eindhoven had been playing against teams as even of similar quality to themselves on a more regular basis, they would have been more used to playing away games and there would be more sort of there'd be more sort of defensive cohesion. They'd be able to play that more conservative way much better. When you look but then you look at like sort of equivalent La Liga teams, perhaps even worse La Liga teams than PSV Eindhoven, um, they might be a little bit more used to playing in, in that in that scenario, in that sort of situation, in that sort of way, and have a better chance of getting something from that sort of game than because PSV just aren't used to it. Yeah, I I definitely think um there's there's a wiliness to, to a lot of the teams who come up, come away to Barcelona in the league. Mm. Um, like I mean, I, th- I thought Alaves were really good on the first day of the season. Not to get blown away, they kept it tight. It was nil nil at half time. They lost three nil in the end, but it wasn't a fair reflection of the game. Barca scored in the last minute to make it three nil, and it, it was it was a pretty close game to have that scoreline. And you see teams like Leganes going away to Real Madrid, getting a win last season. Okay, Real Madrid rotated, but Betis did the same at the Bernabeu. Mm. Um, a lot of teams are just a bit more streetwise um, and perhaps um, kind of, they, they know how to keep it tight, how to break up play and how to run down the clock when needed. Mm. Um, whereas PSV, I think particularly in attacking sense, perhaps just overdoing it a little bit, um, Kind of snatching at chances and not maybe I found the final pass was a bit off and potentially an element of players trying to make a name for themselves with with a, with a goal in, on on the big stage rather than mm. perhaps at certain times picking the right pass. Um, so yeah, I definitely think there's an element of that mm. um, which is um, probably universal across teams in similar positions. Well, yeah. On the flip side, uh, Rob, the, the Napoli kind of did suffer from a team that could. Seem mm. even though they play, you know, they're a top of a league that is much, much sort of weaker. They they defended pretty well against Napoli and got a you know, draw. Red Star. Yeah, um, it was a very weird sort of Napoli performance, but it, they've chopped and changed formations under Ancelotti so far. And the four four two that they've gone to for the last two three games now, or well, it's definitely two games. Mm. Um, it's interesting. It's very different, especially considering they've played four three three. So how does that work? Is that Mertens up front with Milik? No, um, it's been Insigne up front with. Milik and then uh, I think there's Mertens isn't quite the forward that Ancelotti wants necessarily mm. but everyone, everyone at the club still appreciates that he's a phenomenal footballer mm-hmm. but they haven't started the two of them together yet which I think everyone's quite excited to see but it's obviously he came back late from the World Cup the initial things about fitness but now I think it's like Milik's looked pretty good in the system that they've been playing and then obviously Insigne's that bit further along in terms of fitness sharpness and they found other good options with like um, Zielinski is coming coming to his own again, and then they found like new roles for several different players. So it's a it's a teething process at the minute, and I think they're still trying to find what the best system is. Mm. Um, so who plays on the left? Is Callahan is Callah on the right, and then and then they've been playing Zielinski left mid. Oh, okay, um, That's interesting. And then they've been trying to fill the Jorginho void with Hamsik or Diawara, but mainly Hamsik. Um, and then they've already got Alan. And then if Zielinski's not left mid, he'll play left-sided central midfield. Uh, but then they've obviously got Fabian Ruiz, who made his debut against uh, Red Star. Um, they've got they've got plenty of options, but they're just trying to find the best system at the moment. It's still early doors. I don't think anyone's expecting anything miraculous this year. Um, but then against Red Star, they um, they were absolutely on top. There was at no point did anyone think that Red Star were going to get anything out of that game, mm. other than the point that they did get. Um, they weren't going to like nick it at the end or anything like that. 
it was just the fact that that final third Napoli just couldn't break their way through um, I watched the last 20 minutes um, mm. which was mostly out of my housemate's request because he had a bet on it <laughs> <laughs> needed, needed an Napoli goal to, to win like 200 quid or something Excellent. Um, <laughs> and they just didn't really create anything they no, just, I, yeah. I didn't see them it wasn't like oh they're knocking on the door here mate mm. um, they had a couple of I mean even Red Star had a couple of corners where you thought oh, Red Star actually going to nick the points mm. out of nowhere here but no yeah, there just they, wasn't much goal math action. I mean, the the initial thing with Napoli this season was that they were just leaking goals, and it was you could see it, see it at the end of pre-season, which was worrying. They they got slapped five nil by Liverpool, and then they conceded um, three in Germany. Um, I forgot who it might have been Schalke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like very worrying signs for the end of pre-season to be conceding so heavily and looking so poor. Mm. Um, and then they've started the season again. They were falling behind twice, and, and then they came back. And then the third game where they fell behind, they just couldn't come back again, mm. um, and they lost. But um, it, it's just a very, they obviously go for that state of change. They've had three years of one one formation only. They only play one way under Sari, mm. and it worked, and it was very successful for them. But now you've got Ancelotti, who wants a lot more flexibility and a lot more rotation in his team without Jorginho as well. Yeah, Jorginho obviously is a, is a huge huge loss, and they're still not convinced by who fills that void permanently and all the rest of it um, but yeah against Red Star I, bear in mind Napoli fans would think we want six points from Red Star considering we've got Paris Saint-Germain and Liverpool in the group yeah it's a tough um, game isn't it they've now got one point and then you've got tough. you've got you know two games against both Paris Saint-Germain and Liverpool and you've now got to probably be looking at nicking something off one of them yeah. if not two of them and uh, and then hoping that you get three points at home against Red Star um, mm-hmm. which they should do but um, you would you would imagine that, the, although I, I personally think Liverpool are probably easily favourites to win this group. Yeah. And and between Napoli and PSG, I think it's probably going to be pretty close because we said about Napoli not really creating much. Mm. It kind of felt like that's what happened with PSG, especially in the second half. They started okay, but in 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 spells there were sort of sort of flashes on the counter attack, <clears throat> like sort of Mbappe's pace, Di Maria occasionally. Mm. You know, Neymar's obviously a threat, but. It, second half, for, for, for sort of the first 35 minutes, they created absolutely nothing until they sort of switched a little bit formation. Draxler came on, and I think is I think he's a really, really good player. Always plays well for PSG. And they moved Neymar into, into the middle, and it was a little bit more threatening because there was that Neymar playing left left wing just isn't mature enough to, to play yeah. that position in this sort of game for a team like PSG. At Barcelona, it's obviously a lot more on the front foot, but PSG tried to play a little bit more compact. It didn't really work, and there was that point in the first half where he was—he did track back once, and he was sort of faced up with Mane or Salah. I can't remember who it was, mm-hmm. and they just destroyed him. And he just looked—he just looked completely like nonplussed by the whole situation. Yeah. And I just think that PSG are suffering from that—that—that that, that issue that maybe PSG Eindhoven suffered from in that they never have to play like this. Mm-hmm. And if you—if you listen to the the BT commentary, which I do, Steve McManaman was acting like PSG are the worst team ever in the world. He'd ever seen. <laughs> he also questioned. Just on a Stephen Manaman point in general, he questioned whether Jurgen Zakiri was warm enough to take a free kick at one point. After I he heard about this, yeah, and I was just like, very bizarre. But he's he's not warm enough to kick the ball once from a standing position, or his yeah. hamstring's going to go or something. That was bizarre. I heard that they were um, kind of slating Neymar's defensive ability, or like mm. he, you know, I think that he's really renowned questioning, for questioning, yeah, question, questioning, position. kind of. His attitude and not tracking back or something, which is just a nonsense. Because it's if you have a lux- if you have a luxury player in your team like that, mm. then you give them the freedom to, I mean, to do the, that. Thing. Messi doesn't do defensive work mm. because it's a complete waste of his time. Just keep him, 
keep him where he's useful. But, when you, just, but when you compare the front three of Liverpool and Paris Saint-Germain, it's like Cavani, Mbappe and Neymar, which one of them is going to track back for you? Because they're all three unbelievably talented footballers, but mm-hmm. you want Cavani at the width of the 18-yard box permanently. You want Mbappe ready to go at any moment, and like Neymar, he will not defend for you. He'll... Although Mbappe did do that um, that run at the World Cup where he took the ball from his own sort of penalty box and yeah. took it the other length of the pitch. But yeah, in terms of actual defensive whereas, contribution, whereas you look sure. at Liverpool players, and it's just like, I'm not saying that Salah's like going to be a right back anytime soon, but like you'd think it sometimes when the way he's picking the ball up and he's tracking people back, and like he they work so much harder as a front three from from the off than yeah. you, I, I don't imagine. We like seem a... to keep. Um, Salah and, and Mane particularly from corners when, when we're defending a corner we'll just leave those two guys mm. kind of in almost like a, a sprinter's position waiting <laughs> for the bat on just <laughs> give it to them and then they're off um, yeah. so there's definitely like a clear strategy there yeah. Yeah, I think I think the Paris Saint-Germain and Napoli game is going to be quite interesting because I think what Napoli lack in the individual brilliance that like Neymar could decide both of those games with something outrageously mm. good and then PSG win one in both games. Napoli don't have that, I don't think, with the players that they've got. Mm. But I think there is a Mbappe lot. Mbappe could do the same, obviously. Yeah, yeah, the, the other thing. I think, I think Paris Saint-Germain are just full of players that could all produce like a moment of absolute magic. And I'm not saying that Napoli don't have anyone that could do that, but I think that they're more of a team than Paris Saint-Germain are. But they lack that quality. Mm. I think PSG's two goals really against us came from slight. Def- I mean, they were both good goals and clinically put away, but. There were just very slight defensive errors made by us where we had a chance to clear or we just kind of a square pass gives it away. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and Salah, in, got, was Salah gave it away to me to yeah. and he played to, yeah, um, the So even against a team of that attacking quality, even over the course of 90 minutes, making a, one misplaced pass in like a midfield area can lead to a goal. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm not, not sure that Napoli will keep them out. No, over 90 minutes they've got to try and outscore the only thing is that you, the, way you, the way that you sort of phrase that suggests that and which is 100% true is that PSG rely on individual moments they rely on one of those players that you said you know can produce anything to win their game and they can do mm. that but that's the risky thing to rely on even though they've got so many players yeah. to, to do that there's the, the problem with them is for a long time has been like a lack of cohesion and that when you know Neymar doesn't score some outrageous goal or Mbappe doesn't beat half a team and, 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 and score they haven't really got anything else. And L'Equipe like to publish these stats where they, they show, they have a little diagram between the three forwards and how many passes are exchanged between them. Mm. And it's the, the, the amount of passes that go from Mbappe and Neymar to Cavani is like one or two a game sometimes. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Mm. Because there's, there's this weird thing with Neymar, well, not weird, perhaps it's pretty obvious, where there's sort of a deference towards him. And it mm. felt like last season Mbappe went out of his way to give Neymar the ball. And that was at the detriment of Cavani, um, who who actually played pretty well last season. And it just feels like as long as that continues and there isn't that, that cohesion between the front three, don't play as a three like, like Liverpool's front three do, then they're going to continue to have these issues. Because yeah. both of their goals are pretty fortunate, like you said. It was slight defensive errors. Munia's nice little finish. And even even Mbappe's run, um, sorry, Neymar's run, he overhits the ball and Van Dijk sort of gets in there and it rebounds to Mbappe and he scores. So there's a bit of fortune in there as well. Yeah. Well, what you said about the lack of cohesion, reliance on individual brilliance, mm. that kind of does strike a chord with Barcelona at the moment, I do feel as well, because, I mean, it was, it was a bit of a theme last... I mean, it's obviously a bit of a theme of the last 10, 15 years with... with you know, Messi popping up and doing what Messi does. Doing his thing. Um, but um, I do feel like there's 
there's been an increasing over-reliance on him in, in recent years, but I think it's quite pronounced at the moment. Um, and then with the individual brilliance of, of Dembele as well against PS, PSV on um, on Tuesday, I did feel like you know th- those goals were of such high quality, particularly the opening two goals. Um, but you can't expect Messi to score a free kick or Dembele to spin two players and then fire it into the bottom corner mm. if you're going to win every game because those those sorts of goals are just quite simply not going to be scored every game although the players of the quality that they have I mean they tend to do extraterrestrial things mm. um, so I, I, that's why I've, I felt going into the game that they could come a cropper obviously they found those moments of magic um, and, and won comfortably but I do think they, they, they are kind of a there's there's going to be a game coming up sometime soon. I haven't seen their fixture list the next month or two, but there's going to be a game where they're found out because mm. you know Messi's free kick gets the bar instead of going to the top corner, and Dembele shot gets saved, mm. and then it's like who's going to come up with this magic? Mm. Um, if another team takes their chances, they could find themselves caught out. I, I don't know. I don't know really. Obviously, they're going to be very close to winning everything again, mm. but it does seem like there's just something missing from them hitting that top level this season. I suppose with the rest of the teams in that group of Inter and Spurs, they're teams that could definitely take it, probably more yeah. advantage than PSV. PSV yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a very competitive group. And um, yeah, I, I think I think both Inter and Spurs could, could get something against um, against Barcelona. I just think um, it was it was an issue last season and really the season before as well, um, even though they've obviously won trophies over those two seasons. Um, but the, their first 11 is really strong, but they don't necessarily have um, depth off the bench. And they've, responded by signing a load of players um, this summer obviously adding Coutinho was good but then Iniesta's left mm. um, but I don't feel like they've actually improved their squad depth much they've signed they've lost sort of Andre Andre Gomsch mm. and uh, Andre Gomsch mm. um, and Dea Lefeu but then they've signed Arthur and he does good though Arthur right he definitely does but I, I don't know for this season, whether mm. he's going to, you know, ha- be ready enough to, I mean, the adjustment period to signing for a club like Barcelona is is very long, which um, longer than usual because of the style of play. And but he, I mean, he definitely looks like a natural in this in the system. But um, Arturo Vidal is probably the only kind of top class signing that can offer something different right now. But he strikes me as more of a Paulinho. Mm. Um, I mean, Paulinho did well. I thought I thought it was strange that they sold him. Um, but back I think to he China as well, sort of a year. Back to China. Yeah. It was a really weird one because it was strange that he signed for Barcelona in the first place, mm. but then he sort of proved everyone wrong by actually adding a different type of weapon, which is kind of what they needed, um, a more sort of direct threat. Um, but but then they got rid of him um, the following summer, which then was equally kind of strange considering it, you know, his season at Barcelona almost went as well as it could have gone. Um but yeah, I thought that was unusual business. But then, you know, Vidal's a player that I think has probably similar qualities. But then he's arrived off the back of an injury and is now 32 or so, and it will take him a while to settle into it. So, yeah, I don't know if they have enough off the bench to kind of... Um, and, I, and it has been notable that when they have rotated, like when they did it against Real Sociedad, if they rest Busquets, like their midfield just seems to be completely lightweight and mm. falls apart. Um, similar, even when they try Semedo at right back, um, to to move Sergio Roberto elsewhere or to rest him, it's just a massive. It seems like a massive downgrade at the moment. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know if they necessarily have the the eighteen man squad or the twenty five man squad that is deep enough to mm. 
to challenge um, in the Champions League this season. But would, would you think? I'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, there, well, where, where would you say? Without saying, because because um, two things about this. First of all, they're, they're going to focus on the Champions League, mm. I guess, aren't they? Because last season, the way it happened, I saw that Messi speech he made when he was captain speech, and he said. You know, we're going to put everything into the Champions League because of the way it happened last year. Yeah, and I think Real Madrid winning it three times in a row has obviously got a sting. That was going to be another point. They've, they've, they've not won it um, in a number of years, and um, having yeah won the league enough times in recent seasons, um, I think the Champions League has to be their focus this year. And it's more competitive than ever because of the increasing quality and money being pumped into the game relentlessly. Mm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think they almost. They almost suffered against Roma last season because of um, because of their own success being involved in so many tournaments to, right to the end and the, the tiredness that builds up and not having that squad that can you know challenge on all fronts if you do rotate quite a lot. Mm. Um, but also, kind of, I think they sort of struggled because of the pressure they put on themselves. Uh, and when they went out to Roma, they it was almost like they were too scared to play and they. The, the kind of pressure got to them which it doesn't usually um, mm. and I think if they they could become a, victims of a similar thing this season if they put too much pressure on themselves to, to win this tournament um, yeah I'm not sure they might not be playing with the same freedom that they might otherwise be doing mm. it was um, it was nice to see that uh, Manolas got an excellent reception from the Real Madrid support they did um, yeah, 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 they, uh, they, they let it be known that they were quite happy with uh, <laughs> His uh, <laughs> what he did in Rome against Barcelona. Do you think Roma have the ability to repeat that feat? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Semi final is a high watermark for Dante. Yeah, Francesco's but Roma. it was it was a bit of men against boys on Wednesday against uh, Real Madrid. Mm. The, the the golfing class was was there for all to see. Um, it's a below below par Roma. Um, they have not started this season well at all. Um, they changed way too much in the summer. Um, but that being said, I think even a, a Roma at full tilt would have still lost and really struggled in that game. But it, it was a matter of you know Real Madrid at, after like the seventy minute mark, they were just like knocking the ball forward. They'd they'd get into a really good position and then they'd just turn back because it was like they they just couldn't be bothered. They'd already won the game. Roma had were clueless um, from the 70, 70 minute mark onwards. Um, but yeah, quite literally men against boys and the fact that um, they started a 19 year old who'd never played in Serie A. He got his debut from the start. From the start in the Bernabeu against Modric, Casemiro and all the rest of it. Uh, Nicolo Zaniolo. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds uh, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, never, never played for Roma before. Came from Inter's youth team last uh, in the summer. Um, all right. And yeah, they, the manager said that he saw some quality in him and he thinks it's the best way to blood a young player is to sink or swim sort of uh, philosophy. Um, Have they had kind of a fair bit of turnover in the summer? Because is their, is their first 11 a hugely different? Because I suppose the Pastore's come in and yeah. from my French point of view I know Streetman's gone to Marseille of And course. then Zonzi as well from the French connection. Yeah, um, yeah. He's a good signing then. Not at the not moment. Not so far. Not, not looking good <laughs> at the moment. Um, but they're, they're really unsure as to how they're going to play him it was just like oh Inzonzi's available yeah let's sign him oh wait we've already got De Rossi for that role um, so where do we play him and it's just like right we'll, we'll play him central midfield is it a Monchi thing because he was in severe they, apparently that's that's, that's what Inzonzi said Inzonzi said that part of the reason he came was he bought into what Monchi's doing at Roma and all the rest of it But is Monchi that great at Roma I so heard that far. I heard that was it Barcelona wanted him or Man United certainly. I mean, wanted he was him. certainly he was, there's, he was there's definitely a lot, hugely a lot. rated. And he, what he achieved at Sevilla was was amazing. Mm. And, um, but but 
from Roma so far. I mean, he's he's, rated his business. When you when you look at like the players that he's brought in, like albeit Kolarov's done nothing so far this year. He had an exceptional season last year, having sort of you know bummed out a little bit at Man City towards Mm. the end. uh, Made a bit of a renaissance last year, and um, and he's brought in a lot of young players like Cengiz Under, Clivert's come across this year, um, and they've really gone for that sort of between 20 to 23 year old sort of bracket and gone for some really top players and up and coming players but that stinks to me of signing players that they're going to sell on for a profit in like two summers time but they're they're a selling club I think they'd even admit that I mean they saw this summer with like Alisson and and like players that they bought cheap and young give them two years and then they sell them um Mm -hmm. It does work for Monaco, at least it works. But I would argue that Roma are a club of bigger stature than Monaco, and have a much bigger support and have the potential. Like and they I have think, a higher ceiling. Right? I think that that's the the bugbear for fans is that right? What, at what point do we kick on and say actually no? Yeah, these players something. stay. We add, and then we really push because I think like everyone was really excited at the end of last season. Like yeah, they probably you know Trent Alexander's handball aside, they could have reached the Champions League final, and it wouldn't have been. A massive shock um, mm. based on how they played and they knocked out Barca and all of that yeah their, their social media is obviously really strong um, and everyone yeah. loves it but it, I mean I don't know my personal opinion is it, it, even though it can be brilliant I think it's also a bit tin pot in a way oh just trying too hard yeah not sure yeah I mean I, I guess that they're sort of winning the I don't know social media battle whatever, so ex- explain to me what, this, what the issue of the social media is are they, are they quite they're, active they're very yeah, prominent they, they do they, make lots of sort of gags and, and, and it's a bit like videos the, and jokes like, I think Bayern Munich and is it uh, Mönchengladbach or a couple of the German sites have very strong um, social media presences and it's like they're able to make fun of themselves and other teams mm. and that sort of like wins people over and it's like oh this is really really good and all this sort of stuff um, they're not very closed doors. They're quite open about like yeah. You know, it's definitely most of it's like quite self-deprecating. And yeah, funny humor. Um, um, but like, but like from from the Roma point of view, this summer it's just like right. When we're going to kick on? Then they've you know you've got rid of Allison um, and brought in Olsen, which is like a you know, bit of a dubious one. Everyone's like, well, why don't we just sign like another really good keeper instead of one who's had a good World Cup? Um, and then the you Swedish know, keeper, Rob, Rob Olsen. Uh, Robin Olsen, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you let Nyingalan go, although there's obviously some personal reasons at play there. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, they've had, a, they've had a high turnover in the summer and brought in young players, and it's not going to click straight away. But then by the time it does click, again, it'll be too late. They'll be too far adrift to challenge. And I think all Roma fans really want is a Scudetto challenge mm. and or a run in Europe. Um, they got the run in Europe last year. I'm highly doubtful, especially mm. on... Group, uh, group game number one's performance that they're going to do that this year mm. um, winning the league is huge for that sort of club isn't it it's, it's Serie A is one of, the, one of the leagues I think it's pretty universal to be fair but you get the feeling that there are clubs in Serie A much like the Premier League I'd argue Liverpool's mm. one that winning the league would be huge and mm. if Roma because Roma have won they won it under with Totti yeah, with 90s, Spalletti in charge, yeah. and they won it in the Capello early 2000s. Won it, I think, with them. Yeah, um, but they're not a club that have won many league titles. Same with Napoli. Napoli too, obviously, mm. twice and with Maradona. Yep. The, so it, winning, like, it'd be absolutely huge for the fans, and it feels like how they're ever going to make that challenge, which arguably is the sort of the zenith, yep. that sort of club. You know, once every fifteen years, mm. winning, winning, winning this, winning the league. Yep. How are they going to do that if they keep? Doing this, it's so. a bit. It's a bit like the Napoli thing. Napoli mm. didn't change much last summer. They didn't add much, and it just it it looked 
really, really good all through the season. You actually thought, yeah, they're going to do it this year and it's going to be really, really good. Mm. And then obviously they had a little bit of a slump right at the very end, right when you don't need a slump and they finish second and Juve win the league again. Mm. Um, but you just know that when somebody does eventually take the title away from Juventus, because as, as, yeah, as good as they are and as strong as they are, something's got to give at some point. Yeah. Um, like we saw PSG, Monaco, yeah. su- surpassing them, it will happen eventually. Yeah, um, but it's just like, who's going to be that team? Because you'd imagine that whoever does win it, everyone wants to go sign for them and it could, you know, if, it, it could be like an Inter, it could be a Milan, we could be waiting for another two or three years because Juventus are that strong at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, strong enough to win the Champions League with Ronaldo on board, do we think, chaps? Uh, I don't think that they're going to win it, but I think that's more to do with the style of play. Okay. That, they, that they've got like you don't when you look at like a Real Madrid like they can get goals at any moment at any time and then you look at the way Juve set up a lot of the time a lot of it is we'll stop you scoring mm. and then we'll nick one and like they don't seem to like you know really go for the jugular in games they don't win handsomely four or five nil against like the smaller team or even the lesser teams in Serie A they rotate a lot and everyone is fresh towards the end of the season mm. but they don't dominate teams on the, especially on the scoreline as much as they possibly should mm. um, but I think like, obviously yeah Ronaldo does tip it in their balance a little bit especially when he's got a little bit more consistency and fitness up and all this sort of stuff mm. towards the latter end of the season I think that maybe they could be there there or thereabouts but at this point in the season I don't think that Real Madrid are too badly affected from losing him no it didn't feel like it but, but, the thing but, about, then, but then I mean without his goals towards the end of the yeah, that's season where it, I mean it was about January where he'd, he'd been really four, didn't he, the first average half of last season up to Christmas yeah he, he then really struggled which is why I mean the, the, the hype about him having a slow start yeah, yeah, it was just it was a load of nothing oh, because it was yeah, like yeah, well, he's not scored in his first three games hmm. like Okay, then he scores a brace. It was. Now he's got two in four. Yeah. It was quite <laughs> interesting that yeah, neither exactly. neither team missed him on group day, group game one of the Champions League. Juve, yeah. Juve get a two 0 win with him sent off. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously <laughs> Real, Real Madrid is... just dominate Roma yeah. and actually look like a better team as yeah. opposed to just like a group of individuals. Yeah. I mean, what I would say from I mean, I didn't watch the Valencia game. Um, I just saw the highlights. Um, but it seemed like with him on the field, Juve had three or four massive chances they could have been three nil up by yeah, the time he sure. got sent off oh yeah it could have been um, anything if he'd stayed on it could and been. I, th- I think Valencia were just extremely poor by the looks of it um, and Juve kind of even when once he got sent off Juve had their pants down looked extremely comfortable <laughs> maybe I mean they only scored twice and they were both penalties and they were both clear penalties yeah. um, it just looked like a really poor game and a poor Valencia got a penalty at the end though didn't they the yeah Pareko it, missed it, it. Pareko had a horrible game he, um, he started the season quite poorly um as as captain, the kind of the midfield leadership should come from him, um, but he's struggled without Condogbia by his side because Condogbia has been injured the last couple of games, um, and is so important to that team. But uh, yeah, he 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 missed a pen. He conceded a pen. He apparently could have could have been sent off. Yeah. Um, other than having just a general poor game, that aside. Do you yeah. see Valencia kicking on this season? Because obviously, Marcelino's. I'm a big fan of his. He was yeah, been around until we talked about it on the pod previously about him getting rather silly sacked for for at the end of that season where with he Han I thought they were sort of yeah. saying that he was sort of oh you know wouldn't be too bothered if they stayed up but then <laughs> he's gone to Valencia and done really really well. he's a great manager he's, he's yeah right he, he, he's he, he turned their ship around um, I think this was the season where it had been expected that they would hit the next gear and you know maybe t- challenge top three mm. um, break that little order up. Um, which has been fixed for the last few seasons, and um, 
and and then obviously their return to the Champions League hugely exciting. It's not happened so far, and some of Marcelino's decisions have been a bit uh, fruity. I'm not sure really because they've strengthened their squad. They've signed Daniel Wass was a great signing mm. um, on the cheap as well. Um, great at Evian, I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right back or right wing or a mid wherever he played. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's generally right wing or or centre mid these days, and he was a Celta Vigo mostly centre mid because. Or attacking in the field because Aspas would be right wing or attack, um, and they've they've reinforced um, their particularly their um, attacking options by signing Gamero, mm. Batshuayi um, to cover the sale of um, of Zaza, and who I thought did well at Valencia and was kind of harshly done by in a way, but Marcelino didn't seem to like. I think it was a personality clash mm. in, in some sense because it didn't, and, and, and Zaza had a knee issue supposedly rumbling on all last season, which didn't really help his case. Um, but Valencia fans remember him fondly. He did. He scored some spectacular goals. Yeah, Torino, except um, it was a huge coup to yeah. I think it's a coup. Uh, keep Bellotti as well. He so. might also have been a bit homesick. I'm not really sure. Yeah, there's something else going on there. Um, but then they signed, obviously, Gonzalo Gedge oh, yeah. from uh, PSG. Good pronunciation. Um, right at the end. For 40 mil, they laid out on him, but they got their man. And uh, and unfortunately, he's not had a full pre-season, so he kind of has looked a bit off the pace in the two appearances he's made so far. But um, basically, I think fans are a bit frustrated with the fact that um, Marcelino is just rigidly sticking to 4-4-2. And I know he used that formation mostly at Villarreal as well, but I think maybe a system change wouldn't wouldn't be such a bad idea 4-3-3 maybe get a bit a bit more sort of uh, reinforcement in in the middle because they their midfield struggled because Pareko's low form and Kondogbia's injury mm. um and um yeah Rodrigo seems to be slightly off color um since returning from international duty although they've only played a couple of games mm. um the service hasn't been into, great into him and also he's been doing things like um Marcelino's been playing Say he'll sign Was, who can play, you know, on the right or in the middle. I mean, he's so he's a utility man; he can play anywhere, really. Mm. But he's been sticking him on the left, where he's not necessarily is most effective. Um, there's just been a couple of instances of things like that, like last last night, um, two nights ago, when he played um, Ruben Vezo instead of Pacini. Um, Pacini, who's, I mean, Ruben Vezo's kind of more of a converted right back than an actual right back. So to start him with his first game in the, of the season up against Cristiano Ronaldo from the off. Um, and then the same with Murillo. Um, maybe he didn't think Diakpi, having recently been signed, was ready for a Champions League game. Mm. I'm not sure. Um, he can he can sort of... Um, he has looked a little bit shaky yeah. so far, like he's mm. struggling to adapt. But Murillo's not played since May and he's had a hamstring injury since middle of August or so. So then to then just chuck him in completely cold um, against Juve in the, in the most difficult game of the season so far... Um, bit odd bit odd and I suppose maybe they're rotating they've got seven games in 23 days or 21 days and mm. maybe it's a bit of rotation there um, but yeah certainly fans have not been that impressed um, but it's early days um, Villarreal Atletico Madrid uh, Sevilla have all been sort of slipping up in the league so far so I don't think they've necessarily lost ground by their slow start in the league mm. um, and to be fair Juve you wouldn't expect them to beat Juve necessarily no, no. you would have just hoped that they would have given it a better go against 10 men for you know 70 minutes mm. um, hopefully they'll make it through the group it means a lot to them brilliant stuff okay so uh, just before we finish off champs just a quick sort of whiz round of our the teams from our leagues that um, that are in the Champions League just a sort of a quick sort of opinion on, on Inter first of all uh, what do you think do you think getting out of this group Spurs brilliant win great Cardi goal <laughs> 
Fahey on his day. I mean, they Champions didn't deserve League. to win it at they all. Didn't. <laughs> they did. And, 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 and yeah, it looked inevitable in the last five minutes. Oh, God, yeah, Once they yeah. equalised, yeah. it looked absolutely inevitable. Yeah. yeah. A Cardi strike was his, I think I've heard it, it's his fifth of like 100 goals for Inter that's outside the area. Um, wow. And he scores an absolutely ridiculous mm. volley. And it's mm. just like the pendulum swings their way and then, you know, Vecino scores the the guy that got them the Champions League in the first place. Mm. He then scores the... The, the, the header, I think. Yeah, yeah scores the header to... to, to um, to see them through it's just a cra- crazy result that you know known as crazy into anyway but yeah very crazy on their behalf um no i don't i you could see you could see spurs getting something for barcelona and you can see inter dropping points against psv couldn't you so you could see that gap yeah. closing. Yes. i think inter inter away is going to be a very di- different side to inter at home mm. i think that a lot of fans are going to buy into the home games and i think maybe they'll make it difficult at home against barcelona but i think they'll just they'll probably be schooled away at both Wembley are they going to be playing at Wembley Spurs or is it going to be at, that's a good question is it going to be the new maybe stadium? the first game will be at Wembley I'm, I'm, still up in the I'm not sure, I'm not sure when, it's, when it's due to open it's been pushed back hasn't yeah. it until um, about November or so I'm not really sure but I think most of their group in London. Wembley yeah. I think, I think <laughs> they'll London. be I think it'll be difficult for them in London and in Barcelona um, and, then, and then it's like toss of a coin what happens in PSV what Inter turns up nice uh, Atletico Madrid, Chris, you mentioned they started slowly but got a 2-1 win at Monaco. 1-0 yeah, um, I think um, defensively they've they've looked um, a little bit um, shaky this season, um, which is unusual for them. Godin started at a bit of a low level. Um, but who else was in their group other than Monaco? What's the other uh, that is a good question. I should know this because it's Monaco. <laughs> um, I mean, I should know this. Because it's Spanish team. Let me find it. But yeah, they've 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 um, oh, Dortmund and Club Bruges. Okay, yeah, they should get through. Um, having one away at Monaco, mm. you'd expect them to take six points off Club Bruges. Although Club Bruges looking fair, to be fair to them, they they pushed Dortmund all the way, and and the goal that Dortmund scored to win that game was so fortuitous. It just sort of eighty five minutes as well. It kind of just deflected it. I think the defender like kicked it, cleared it against Pulisic, and it looped over the keeper. Oh. And <laughs> just just a real rubbish goal. Um, but but yeah, you would expect. Um, Atleti to go through that group, yeah, possibly as group winners, probably as group winners actually. Yeah, well, they last, they, they, last year they struggled in the yeah they were what, in Rome and Chelsea group. Yeah, they, they were they expected, to, they were expected to dominate year. that group, and they yeah. what got Europa League football. Yeah, they, they won yeah. the Europa League. I, I just think winning away at Monaco to start was just so crucial. Um, the yeah. thing with Monaco is that they, uh, I think they could, they could easily finish bottom in this group because they're with Monaco. They're sort of a team that works in cycles, as we mentioned earlier about them buying players to sell Salon, and they, yeah. they tend to do that all at once. So they'll build a team to, to achieve something and then they'll achieve that thing. Their players' uh, market value will skyrocket and they'll sell them all on. And it's mm. happened twice already. Happened in sort of 2015. Since, this is since Dmitry Raboliev took over in 2011. Um, the, in 2015, they got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I think they lost to Juventus. Yeah. It was like, I'm an Abdenor team. Obviously, he's, he's, mm. he's not even in the Europa League squad at Marseille now, by the way. But um, he wasn't even registered. But it was that team with Martial, those sort of players. Um, Condogbia, Yannick Freire, Carrasco, that team. And they wow. all started on like pretty much at the same time. And then they sort of started again and they, they, they signed new players, you know, like Tom Lamar came from Conf, like 4 million, a few others, Fabinho from mm. Portugal was very cheap. And then they won the league. And then, as you saw last summer, all those they players went. Mm. And then they kept Fabinho and Tom Lamar for another year, basically to get them back in the Champions League. And then they sold those two this summer. And then they have basically started completely again. Mm. And their, their, their team is so, so young. And 
they they kind of switched their kind of tactics a little bit because previously they were signing players that had a bit of a you know were up and coming rather than prospects mm. players that played in league and, and liked Tom Lamar who was good had a really good season for a lower team was twenty twenty I think at the time nineteen maybe and those sorts of players but they've gone sort of a bit sort of almost sort of jumped the shark in the Monaco mould okay. and are signing sort of 16, 17 years so Pellegrini, Pellegrini obviously from yeah. Genoa yeah. Who, who looks really good but he's 17 years old yeah big, couple thing, of guys, big things expected of him yeah he's been he's got That's a great like, goal against, Vieri sort of level of goal scorer I was going to think Vieri is exactly yeah. who I was going to like him to he, yeah. he's got a great goal against Bordeaux, which is very, very Vieri kind of like. They've also brought in Barreca, haven't they, from Torino? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not necessarily that young, 22, but 23, 23, 23 yeah. yeah. Which, is, which is a little bit more, more Monaco. like them. Yeah. But they signed a couple of, this guy called William uh, Goebbels from Lyon, who is really highly thought of. He hasn't played for the senior team, but was like sort of a, one of those sort of teenagers that has a bit of reputation for being, you know, really quite good. And it's, and Sofiane Diop, another one from Rennes. And that, basically, they're just a such a young team. Mm. And Falcao and Camel Glick. Yeah. And they, they're just sort of they're just not ready for this at all and mm. they they if they finish in the top three in league and they were done really really well this season so oh, okay. I don't really see them Fair play. challenging and, and I, yeah I think um, obviously Atleti having won their first game away at Monaco now mm. Atleti have got three home games which will all be 1-0 so that's going to be 12 <laughs> points <for them. laughs> um, so just, just just call it a day now we don't need the other five games <laughs> just toss a coin for second place <laughs> but then Dortmund not we'll talk about Dortmund on a, on a later part with the German guys but they're also not as, as strong as they used to be so maybe no. there's something for Monaco there but I, I would doubt it I think that leaves us with Leon, which is the big upset of the week, winning 2-1 at Manchester City I mean who saw that coming and, <laughs> absolutely no one <laughs> including me for sure um, it's really interesting with Leon this season because Unlike Monaco, they kept their best players from last season. Them and Marseille both kept their players, yeah. um, which in a, in, a, in a league like Ligue 1 and pro clubs like those two, when they had some, Lyon in particular, not necessarily Marseille, but Lyon had some really exciting young players. You know, Fakir was very, very close to Liverpool to the point where I hear yeah. he picked out a shirt number um, and yeah. before that deal fell through. Um, Hossam Awar is an Iesta-type midfielder in, in central midfield. looks absolutely brilliant, still only 19 or 20, but could have gone... Um, Mariano Diaz did of course go back to Real Madrid had got 16 league goals last season yeah, he was excellent by the way when he came on against he scored Roma. didn't he yeah. scored the third goal excellent goal that show yeah. he, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's not he's just a striker just wants to shoot all the time yeah. um, but he's, he, he's good at it you know so fair play but apart from him they signed um, Moussa Dembele to replace him yeah. Memphis Depay um, has been really really good in a central striker role over the last sort of six months so they're, they're a team that are developing and managed to maintain that momentum from last season despite Diaz leaving. And he wasn't really in their first choice team anyways, which is why they, they let him go. So they're, they're a team on the out. So perhaps a result like this wasn't necessarily out of the blue, but winning away at Manchester City wasn't necessarily where I thought it would come. It was maybe kind of what I thought might happen, PSV at Barcelona. Mm. But it actually happened. It's <laughs> <Rather laughs> finishing four as everyone else expected. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, it, it was huge news in France. It was sort of L'Equipe covered it obviously massively on the day after, and then the day afterwards, it was still all over. Still prominent, yeah. Yeah. So it shows what a big what a big upset it was. But I think in in in, in this group, they they definitely got a chance, and they could do something like Roma did last year. And yeah. if they get the right draw and they get a couple of good results, you know, a couple of lucky performances like Roma were pretty fortunate in a couple of times. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. They could do the same thing. You got you. I think now from a Leon perspective, you know, you've you've picked up a result you didn't expect to mm. get that gives you three points on over everyone else. It's like you can't imagine the Man City are going to drop too many more points in a group unless they something completely collapses for them. So you 
you know you're three points up on pretty much everyone else to begin with. So like you've got to be, you've got to be targeting top two after a result like that. Yeah. Um, Hoffenheim and Shakhtar the nest beatable teams. But Good. Sha- I mean, Good teams, I, I mean, but... I mean, Shakhtar were in uh, City's group last year with Napoli, mm. and they were a lot better than the Italians certainly gave them credit for. Um, mm. They all they all knew it was dangerous, especially away from home. But it's the cliche tough place to go. It is, yeah. I mean, Red Star Belgrade wasn't a particularly hospitable place for uh, for anyone um, this week. But Shakhtar and in, in the Ukraine, because I don't even think they play in Donetsk. I think they play. Paying an hour's flight, yeah, outside. And yeah, it's not a particularly nice place to go. And but they they have very good players, and they play very good football under Fonseca, who I think is still there, isn't he, as the manager? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I think he's still there. I mm. think that's what Farinio told me anyway. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got an incredibly good squad. So I wouldn't be surprised if they they challenge Leon. But yeah. you know, it's. It's too early to really say. The really. home game between for Leon with Shakhtar be the big one, won't it? Yeah, I think yeah, but but basically, if they play like they did against City, there's nothing to say that they can't absolutely run away with second place. I say run away with second place. But, um, <laughs> yeah, to make make it their own behind absolutely. City. Brilliant stuff. Okay, one final question, chaps. In a word, who do you think is favourite for the Champions League after our first round of fixtures? Who's best placed, Chris? Um, I'm a Liverpool fan. We need yeah. PSG. I will say Liverpool. <laughs> fair play, no, fair play, Rob. Um, surely Real Madrid can't win it again. Four times, just can't. I see mean, it. that's unprecedented. Um, that's all I. Th- I was thinking Real Madrid, but I... looking at how they played, I really wouldn't rule it out. I... Sergio Ramos scoring a penalty in the final or something. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go with Real Madrid again. Just Although it's going to be ridiculous to see, see a team win it four times. It... <laughs> It would be, wouldn't it? That's kind of... I'm sort of leaning the other way, that it mm. would be ridiculous. I, don't, I just... Can they do that? But I'm leaning towards them too. I, mm. I think there might be something in Juventus just because Buffon leaves, having said he was going to retire, not winning Champions League, yeah. leaves to go to PSG, yeah. and then they sign Ronaldo and win the Champions League. What's that, going on with Areola, by the way? With the Because didn't the manager come out and say that... Well, Tuchel came out and said mm. that Areola's going to get a run for a little bit? Yeah. Make up his mind as to whether he wants Buffon or him as number one? He, yeah, that's basically... Yeah, that's basically spot on. He basically... Played really well at the end of last season, Ariola. Yeah. Um, stopped making silly mistakes. Stopped, looked more confident, which is normally the case with PSG goalkeepers. They just look really, I don't know, they just look really flappy, basically. Yeah. Um, and was brilliant for France international break. And he's, because obviously Buffon suspended for the first three Champions League games anyway, so he needs Ariola on side. Sure. And he said before two league games, he's, there was Nîmes and, uh, I can't remember what the second one was, but he said Ariola will play the next two games and I still haven't decided who will be first choice. Mm. So it's pretty much up in the air between the two. I think Buffon will eventually be first. Yeah, you don't but... you don't sign a player like Buffon to just sit on the bench. No. Um, he's doing good work on the bench though. though he's, yeah. he's very much sort of he's sort of on the touchline, sort of gesticulating and he's shouting. A, he's a great person to have around like uh, younger lads that are coming through. But I don't think PSG have that many players that really need like an arm around them and you know being shown the ropes. Mm. They're, they're pretty established professionals. Um, they just need a leader though. They just need. He'd be great at Monaco. He'd be great with all yeah. those kids. <laughs> They'd look up to him so much, wouldn't they? Yeah, that's a really good shout actually. No. Not going to win less chance of winning the Champions League though. I think he's probably although it would be ridiculous if he did it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Um, okay, I think that's about all we've got time for. So uh, thank you very much, Chris. Thanks, Adam. Thank you very much, Rob. Thanks, Adam. It's goodbye from all three of us. Have a good week and enjoy the football.